The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we work our little fingers to the bone every single solitary week to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And we have a super exciting topic today. At least four people who already realize that managing seller leads and following up and remembering when do I have to mail something and when do I have to mail the second thing and when do I need to get a good list, a new list because my old list has been hit too many times. Everybody already realizes that is a huge pain in the rear is going to love the show today. Everybody else who you know doesn't need any sellers, you got all the rental properties you want, you're, you're good, you can just, you can just flip the station and listen to some easy listening music or something because this is this is a day that is uh, it's really for folks who are or want to uh, become you know kind of higher volume buyers wholesalers retailers folks like that uh, here to help me discuss this surprisingly complicated topic is Christina Krauss from virtualleadmanagers.com. She's been in real estate since 1999 and over the course of the last half decade or so has developed a business where she works with high volume buyers to help them uh, make their direct mail and lead management much more hands off than most of us treat it. She is joining us by phone today. Welcome, Christina. Hello, how are you? I'm very You know you're good. old when you hear, like I heard your, uh, just a piece of your intro, and uh, anytime you've done something for a half of a decade, <laughs> I think it kind of really ages you a little. <laughs> I know, I know. I was having a conversation with a student on the way up here, and she said, uh, she said, oh, and I think the water heater is going to need to be replaced because it was bought in 2010. And I was like, that's not that old. And then she said, that was nine years ago. <laughs> like, what? Like, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, my goodness. That's insane. But, um, yeah, so so let's, uh, let's kind of start the show by talking about kind of your, um, uh, this, this, this thing of getting into servicing other people's leads has been a multi-step process that started with you actually being a real estate investor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and incidentally, I am still an active real estate investor to this day. I think it is the uh, most amazing thing in the world. I think it's uh, one of the best investments in the world for your money. And I put my money where my mouth is. So what we started to do in the beginning is still something that we do to this day. And I think it keeps our head in the game 
uh, and even in terms of the way that we service our clients. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for me to be able to relate to them, especially if I'm handling their marketing campaigns when I'm doing it myself. I'm in the thick of things myself. But um, got started back in real estate investing in 1999. At the time, uh, I was a manager at a major credit card company. And I always knew uh, I wanted to get into real estate. I'm going to date myself a little bit and say that I was on vacation with my family, um, probably at about 19, the 1997 mark-ish. Um, and up late one night after we had been just goofing off, uh, saw a Carlton Sheets uh, infomercial. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> on late night TV. Um, bought it, uh, put it in the corner for almost two years. It sat, uh, you know, in, in, in the corner of my office, and I thought one of these days when I have enough money and when I can do something with that, I'll do something with that. Um, so I was working for a major credit card company. I was on a, a night shift managing a shift, training somebody new because I was moving to another shift and uh, was told, you know, we, we really just kind of want you to sit back in your office. We don't want you on the floor. Uh, we want this person to run everything without you to see how they run things. So bring a book, do something for the next week. Uh, we need you there in case something burns down to the ground. But other than that, we literally don't want you paying attention. Uh, so I said, well, good time for me to pull this Carlton Sheets course out. Uh, the first night that I uh, was there, I read the entire course. I just consumed it. Um, and the next day, which was my night, of course, I should have been sleeping during the day. But the very next day, I did uh, what the course said to do, and I bought my first two properties, no money down. <laughs> no joke. Um, so that was my the beginning of uh, you know my real estate career. Uh, within about I don't know how long it was, maybe about a year, uh, I had you know amassed and replaced my income and stopped working for the bank, went into real estate investing full time. Uh, so started out just more like a buy and hold kind of situation. And at our height, we had two, about 282, not about, we had 282 units at our height um, and owned and managed those units ourselves. That was a, naturally led to things like wholesaling and flipping. Uh, I've either wholesaled or flipped or been involved in those transactions, uh, well over a thousand of those transactions throughout the course of my career, uh, have implemented every kind of strategy at some point in my career that you can possibly imagine from uh, lease options to uh, short sales to, you know, you name it. Um, and that was a, a little, uh, all right, so, you know, we did all of that. That's um, kind of how I got my first taste in probate because probate was one of the leads that we began to market to and quickly realized that this was an incredibly lucrative lead for us. Um, but the, let me get to the end of the story where there's a little bit of a splat here um, and part of the lesson is, and, and, then, and then the segue into what I do today. We, you know, did this very, very, very successfully. We had a, a large, incredibly well-performing portfolio uh, and that gave us the confidence to say, well, if we could do this, uh, then certainly we can do absolutely anything. <laughs> um, so uh, we uh, purchased an 80-unit apartment complex with the intent uh, to uh, transition that apartment from condos to uh, convert the apartment complex to condos. And did that successfully right around 2006 when the market crashed and condo financing went away. We had just eliminated pretty much all of the tenants within that complex. 
condo fan, co- condo financing went away unless a unit is greater than a certain percent occupied. And long story short, it completely wiped us out. It took us down. What we should have done is we should have just, you know, seen the writing on the wall. But what we tried to do is we tried to, like, go back to an apartment complex, even though it wasn't bought that way. And we languished for three or four years until we pretty much lost everything. Um, And when I say we lost everything, I'm talking about the dirty word bankruptcy. We lost everything. We went from um, having amassed a portfolio and a, you know, uh, a, a, I, I guess I'll call it a fortune. At the end of the day, we we had more money, just even liquid money, than we thought we could ever even spend in a lifetime. So we went from being incredibly secure uh, and feeling like our futures were completely secure to losing absolutely everything. Um, that, uh, in the middle of all of that, uh, you know, the, my marriage and business partnership fell apart. It wasn't the result of that. It didn't help, but it wasn't the result of that. Uh, but throughout that process, we never really, uh, I, I should say, I never really stopped doing what I need to do. I mean, I was keeping food on the table by continuing to flip, continuing to wholesale. Uh, that works no matter what, right? Uh, it didn't sustain all of the debt service that we had accumulated, but, you know, it kind of sustained us. Um, and it led us, the network that I had, of, of investors that I had uh, grown to know, uh, knew what we were doing that was working, knew that we were marketing to probate. Uh, probate uh, is one of those leads that's incredibly, uh, it, it's just cumbersome to gather. It's difficult to gather. Uh, it's not hard to understand or to gather, but it's very lucrative but very difficult to gather. And uh, we had had a woman, I helped a woman start a business gathering probate leads. She started doing it for me, and then I was connecting her to people in my network. So she was all across the nation figuring out how to gather these probate leads um, for our clients and providing them with probate leads. Ultimately, though, realized that that wasn't a scalable business for her because she didn't have the network. Um, and I ultimately bought that business from her. I saw the opportunity. I knew that my network was pretty big. Um, and I began uh, providing probate leads to investors really kind of all across the nation. Hmm. Um, the evolution of that business into what it is today uh, is that uh, we realized that I could provide you probate leads all day long, but if you don't know how to market to those probate leads, it doesn't do you any good. So people were paying us a crap ton of money for leads, um, and not to, we weren't able to sustain the client because they weren't marketing to the lead properly. So despite the fact that we didn't want to do it, we got into direct mail. We said, all right, we're going to handle these mailers for you. So we started, um, you know, mailing out these leads for the clients and spacing them out properly. There's a whole method uh, that's ideal in terms of the way that you market to a probate lead. We can get get into that if you think people would be interested in that uh, later in the call. But as we began to do that, we started, you know, we're starting to do this in more and more volume. Now we're starting to mail out, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of letters per month as our client base grew. And it allowed us some insight. It allowed us to see trends uh, and what was working and what wasn't. And it allowed us to test things and to start, start testing envelopes. So we became very well known there for a while, even just with our direct mail. What, what does your envelope need to look like? What does the flap on the back need to look like in order for you to get the optimum open rate? What kind of stamp should you use? What kind of ink should you use? We started to get into all that. and It was fascinating to me. 
Um, and then we started to notice that we still were having this drop off with clients, right? And they were saying, your leads don't work. Um, and uh, we're looking at it and going, all right, this doesn't make any sense. Like, the, the, of course the leads work. There's just not enough of them. You know, because probate in, in your county, there's there's only so many. And we knew that um, clients didn't really have the ability. Um, entrepreneurs have a, a very, very difficult time. You have, have a whole time, hard time holding their attention. We weren't doing enough, right, to hold their attention. So we started to add other specialty leads. We said, what other kind of leads can you get? Divorce, lease tenants, tax billing. But we started to do, get into that realm. Um, and then answering the question of these leads don't work, we were like, maybe they don't. Um, we figured out how to perfect direct mail marketing by looking at data. Let's start to look at data. So we started to study data and started to study what are the common characteristics that we're finding of people who are doing deals? What do those deals look like? We started to study deals. We started to study um you know, what, what, what's, what, what's the average age of people that are calling in and just starting to get really, really good at looking deeply. Because, and again, we had the ability to do this because we were doing this in such big volume. You need volume when you're studying data. Otherwise, you're, you know, your data might be faulty because it's such a small set of data, right? And what we realized is that it started to get us really, really, really good at lead gen. We could, you know, ultimately determine... Um, what are the motivated seller characteristics um, of a particular area? And, uh, you know, what, what works? Do, does a letter work better or a postcard work better? And sometimes the answer was different, but we would study the data and ultimately figure out the whys, continual, continually asking better questions, getting people really good at their marketing. And the evolution of the company was simply that as we started to see the power of studying your KPIs and studying the data and studying the deals that you're doing and studying the leads that you're sending, your business becomes pretty gosh darn predictable. Like your marketing becomes predictable. And when things start to not work, you can actually answer the question of why instead of relying on your emotions or a faulty gut. Um, you know, because even now, today, if I ask my clients how they're doing, you know, if, I, if we have a phone call, I say, hey, how are you doing? Their answer is dependent on what happened in the last week or two of their business. <laughs> so if they have a down part, they're like, oh, it's terrible. If it's up, it's, oh, it's great. If you don't know your numbers, you really don't know and you're controlled in your business by your emotions. You're making major decisions in your business based on emotion instead of, you know, based on the actual numbers. Um so again, that's kind of, we just kind of naturally grew, like as people began to trust us and see that they could trust us, they started to say, we want you to handle more and more and more. Uh, to, and, and, and here we are today, um, you know, we, we represent some of the biggest clients in the business. We have some clients who spend, you know, a hundred plus, you know, thousand dollars per month on their direct mail marketing alone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and then, you know, once they perfect one area, they just, you know, break into another still to this day, though, the value that we have and the value that I can add to a, you know, a, a call like you and I are doing now is because we represent so many points of data, 
um, it's really easy for us to say see where the common fail points are in business owners' businesses, right? Um, and we can also say, hey, this is what's working. This is where there's momentum right now. This is the lead type or the scenario that's working really, really well right now. And we can share that information with investors all across the nation and just help them get better about their marketing um, and get better about their businesses because what we often find is that conversion or the lack of conversion has far more to do uh, with your inability to co- properly convert a lead, like how you handle that lead once it comes into your business, then it does the quality of the lead. Everybody wants to blame the lead. More often than not, it's just because you need to get better at how you're nurturing and auditing that lead once it's in your system. And that should be good news. It should be encouraging because otherwise you're always going to be chasing the next big thing instead of just going, nope, how do I ask a better question and how do I get better at doing business? How do I scale to be better first before I scale to be bigger? And that is going to be the topic of our conversation for the rest <laughs> of the hour. And uh, we need to we need to take a quick break. I also want to invite listeners to call or email uh, with any questions they have based on um, the expertise you have already shown in marketing and um following up on leads and whatnot. Our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Christina Krauss from virtualleadmanagers.com. Now, th- this 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 format of being on a radio show and having to take breaks and only having, you know, 50 minutes and no visual aids and all that kind of stuff. I know it's going to be frustrating to those of you who are like, "Oh my gosh, I just want I just want to sit down with her for like 3 hours and pick her brain." Christina is going to be at the 2019 National Real Estate Investing Summit coming up here in Cincinnati in about 10 days. We are super duper close to it. She's got a 90 minute presentation where all where she's got the floor the whole time and she's got slides with charts and all kinds very, very data driven. And she's got all of this, you know, stuff to to like really demonstrate what she's talking about. And she's also, um, like many of the presenters, going to be hanging out in the bookstore in between sessions to talk to folks one-on-one who have, you know, everyone thinks they've got the unique problem, especially in marketing, right? So uh, she'll be around for attendees as well to talk to you about uh, those sorts of things. If you haven't registered for that yet, you need to do it. Um, We are really, really close to being completely out of space in that event. We said we were going to register a thousand people and we are over 900 right now and everybody tries to register at the last minute. So uh, my understanding, this, this may not be true anymore because last time I checked was yesterday, but my understanding yesterday was that there was still one discounted seat available at wmkvfm.org. Uh, we had a, we had a one at, we had a summit fund drive that included some extra stuff and were cheaper than the oreaconvention.com seats. So if you've been putting it off to this point and now all of a sudden you're thinking, man, I really ought to go to that since it's the biggest one in the entire country and there's going to be 999 other fun investors to hang out with plus 23 presenters and also Christina, then go to wmkvfm.org and uh, see if, if it's still on the front page, there is still a, that's that last 
the discounted ticket is still available for a pledge to WMKV. So I didn't even tell you about the little, uh, like the special Oria dance that I have. You've got an well. Oria dance. So, you, do. you really don't want to miss that. I am very much looking forward to seeing the Oria dance, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> we mostly we mostly do a dance on Sunday night about six o'clock because the, the, <laughs> this. This event, as big it is as it is, and as many moving parts as there are, we had to, today. I was I uh, had conversations with two of the presenters who we signed contracts with months ago, and and now they have added stuff, and they're like, "Is it okay if I also talk about this cool thing I just discovered?" And I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to ask me if you can give more value. Don't, just just do it, okay?" <laughs> But, but, you know, there's a lot of that kind of thing uh, going on at, at this time of year. And it's uh, my whole office is pretty much consumed with putting this event on for about two months. And it's not even like OREA is a nonprofit group, right? We don't we don't own OREA or anything, but we just believe really, really strongly in uh, the mission that the organization has, which is about protecting and advocating for uh, real estate investors against Unfortunately, their own elected officials and bureaucrats many times <laughs> tend to encroach upon private property rights more often than perhaps they should. So um, you said an awful lot in that in that introductory <laughs> segment, Christina, and I, I, I wanted to, uh, to to break some of it down, uh, understanding that, you know, your clients... Some of your clients are doing over a million dollars a year in direct mail, and most of our listeners aren't going to do that. Like the, yep. <laughs> the budget, the budget is just not there. So, so talking more about uh, or b- more to the people who are maybe just getting started, or they're like they've been doing the business for a while and they've they've got the part down about. I know my exit strategy. I know how to retail a property. I know how to wholesale a property. I've got my contracts. I've got my buyers. I've got my, you know, they've got all that stuff in place. It always then comes down to leads, doesn't it? Absolutely. And leads leads are everything. Leads are the lifeblood of your business, which is why you have to treat them like the asset that they are. They're the biggest asset in your business is your lead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in your observation, having, having worked with both kinds of people, what are the what are the biggest ways in which these guys who are able to do a hundred thousand dollars a month in mail? I mean, let's face it, if that if that's your monthly marketing budget, then your your probable your probable overall budget is twice that, which means you are bringing in some huge money in real mm-hmm. estate if you can cover all of that. The difference yep. between the way they treat, for instance, their direct mail. And the guy who's struggling to do one wholesale deal a month treats his direct mail. So here's what's really interesting. I love the way that you asked that question because here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, The way that really big companies handle it versus should handle their marketing and their leads is exactly the same way that a a beginner uh, or a smaller investor should handle their marketing. Um, And let me also say that that is not the only kind of client and further, let me encourage uh, the people who are listening and tell you that, you know, wh- when we do marketing for clients, we require that we're in their data because that's what we do. We're a data and analytics lead-driven 
uh, company, right? So we, we're, the only way we're going to do it is if we can study the data and be in the numbers. Uh, and what I'm going to tell you is that literally 100% of the time with the clients that we have, um, the small business operator, the three and less owner uh, person business, dollar for dollar makes more money than the big guy every single time. Hmm. And the same mistakes that the big guys make are the same mistakes that the small guys make and vice versa. So you have so much to learn from each other. And I am a very, very big advocate for being lean. Last year, the theme of our entire business, again, was scale to be better before you scale to be bigger. I'm not a big advocate. If you want to get big, that's fine. I'm here to support that. Um, But I'm individually uh, a very big advocate of of staying lean and staying small, especially as we start to see this market tighten. It's more just about um, how do I, you know, what's the minimum effective dose? I love um, just that concept. Um, And I think you should uh, look at that in your life and in your business. Um, Everybody's always shooting for this big NBA moment or this big moment um, and what they really need to do is just pay attention to the moment that they're in. So from a marketing standpoint, the uh, way that you would market to a lead, uh, if you're going to do direct mail, ringless voicemail, texting, is the exact same way, regardless of whether you're small or big. And I would even go so far as to say most of even my bigger clients don't even uh, realize the value of like how big they are in terms of branding. Most of them don't do branding. Most of them send mailers that make them look just like a a regular smaller operator because that's what resonates with people right now. A lot of investors get in their head and they think I've got to have a company and I've got to do branding, I've got to do this. I'm telling you right now that it actually works better in this environment and that will probably shift as iBuyers start to change the rhetoric a little bit. But as of right now, um, even our, you know, some of our biggest clients don't don't brand with their company. They they send a the same postcard that anybody else might send. Um, they're just better at the systems and the processes for how to handle that lead. Mm. So so this thought that a lot of investors coming into the market or that are smaller investors have that goes the reason I'm not doing enough deals is because we have this giant franchise out of Texas here in our town and they must be getting all the deals mm-hmm. is wrong. Yes. It's a story you're <laughs> telling yourself because it's easier to do that than it is to just knuckle in and do the, do the, you know, do the tough work and own it. Right. It's easier to say, Oh, if I had better leads, I could close the deals than it is to say, okay, am I book? What am I, what should I be doing to, be better about booking appointments or be better about getting the attention of the person that I need to get, you know, the attention of. Um, you've got to pay attention to the systems and processes and you've got to own it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So the big guys and the small guys are making some of the same mistakes. And in fact, in fact, you, you said a phrase that I, that I actually wrote down here, which was fail points. <laughs> you said, you said I see the same fail points over and over and over again in in people's businesses. What what are some of the fail points that real estate investors seem to have in common? Okay, um, first one. Let's start with like let's start at the beginning of the pipeline. Okay, and then let's work our way through because there are you know three or four places where every single business seems to have a conversion issue. Uh, the first one with your marketing 
is just a lack of consistent consistency and being methodical. Um, let's focus on direct mail because that's mostly my thing. We study data from other marketing methods, but direct mail is my thing. Um, I literally have, I'm up to 53 people who physically can't write addresses on letters for my clients. Um, that's my thing, direct mail. Um, the thing with direct mail that I will say is that if you are not going to be methodical and consistent with repetitively touching that lead, then I personally don't think you should bother. Uh, it's not inexpensive to do direct mail because of postage and the time that it takes. Even if you're doing postcards, it's still not inexpensive. And we typically find that the biggest conversion on direct mail happens somewhere between touch five and touch seven of your drip. Okay, so not the, if you're going to mail one or two postcards to that person, but certainly if you're only going to mail one. The vast majority of people mail one time, and then they never mail again. And that's a really big mistake. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm saying it's not going to work maximally. Um, so if, in fact, you're going to do that, then don't blame direct mail. Don't say direct mail doesn't work because direct mail right now, at least amongst our clients, is actually the highest performing. We just surpassed ringless voicemail for the highest performing lead. It, direct mail. Direct mail is doing very, very well right now. There's, an, there's been a kind of an uptick in the last couple of months with response to direct mail. So biggest fail point on the marketing side is just a lack of consistency. If you're going to mail, then mail, you know, be, get, you know, commit to mailing, you know, five, six, seven times at least. I have clients who are in on drip 22. Hmm. I, I was just looking at somebody who's in drip 22. Um, space your mailers out. Most people space them out four weeks. I say space them out every five to six weeks. We don't see a significant drop off. Um, in response, if you sp spread that out to the fifth or the sixth week, the reason why, though, it's important not to drip every four weeks is because if you do it consistently every four weeks, you're always hitting somebody at the same pain point every month, and everybody's pain point comes at different points of the month, right? So you don't want to always hit them at the end of the month or the middle of the month or the beginning of the month. So give, give it five weeks so that it, when you're dripping it, they're getting that message at different points of the month, okay? Mm -hmm. Now let's talk about the incoming call um, and the fact that on, on average, most people miss 34% of the calls that come in. So you spend all this money on marketing, whether you're doing direct mail or PPC or whatever it is that you're doing, most people miss 34% of their calls. That's what the averages are. 34% of your opportunities gone. Hmm. Then a very, very, very few percentage of people call those back, right? So you know, think think of putting a system in place that identifies when you've missed a call and, and tracks that. There's all kinds of tools that you can use so that if somebody calls in, it automatically records the fact that somebody has called in. But even go one step further and think about abandoned calls. Think about the mom who call, picked up the phone to call, hears her kid crying in the other room, puts the phone down, and then never picks it back up again because life, you, you know, Life takes over and then you forget. Mm -hmm. Think about how many times that's happened to you when you intended to do something, <laughs> put the phone down and had somebody identified you and reached back out to you, you would have done something uh, differently or you might have handled that situation differently. It's another very, very common fail point. So one, make sure that if you're missing calls that you're calling them back. Two, just pick the phone up. 
I mean, I honestly think that you differentiate yourself from like 80 to 85 percent of investors out there just by consistently picking up your phone. Answer your phone. Um, you hear that stuff all the time. I can't tell you how many times. If you're answering your phone and you're talking to sellers, I can almost guarantee you that you've probably spoken with somebody at some point who said, you're the first person who actually called me back or yep. answered the phone. Or the first person who picked <laughs> up the phone. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, in fact, um, in fact, um, one of the I, I deal a lot with brand new investors who uh, they haven't even experimented in the market yet, and they they already have this fear that the markets and it doesn't matter what city they're in, they could be in Phoenix or they could be in Akron, and they think the same thing. They think that their 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 area is already overrun with investors, and there can't possibly be any deals out there for new investors and I say what's your evidence and they say there's a sign on every telephone pole and I say have you called them <laughs> well no why would I call them I just I just want you to call the next 10 phone numbers you see and here's what's going to happen seven of them won't pick up and will not call you back even if you leave a message saying I, j I just need to give my house away they will still not call you back <laughs> Uh, the, it's uh, true. <laughs> um, it's so crazy, but it's true. It it it, it really is. So, um, yeah, that's a that it, it's it it is it is so true that like everybody who's been around the real estate business for a while knows it, and yet everybody still does it. So we're going to talk about we're going to talk about some solutions. And uh, I definitely want to hear the rest of your list here because you were I think on item number two of your process yep. here and where it falls apart. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to real life real estate investing we're talking to Christina Krauss from uh, don't want to get this wrong virtual lead managers. And she uh, we're talking about um, direct mail managing leads, all, all this great sort of stuff. If you've got questions, you can either call 877-772-9658 or you can send them to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is marketing slash lead management expert, Christina Kraus, who is also one of the more than 20 featured speakers at the... I guess they can't all be featured speakers. One of the most, one of the more than twenty expert speakers, but she's especially featured. I bet I'm the only one who's going to dance. I, I bet you. you. I bet you are. I bet that is. I bet that is true. Um, twenty nineteen National Real Estate Summit coming up October thirty first through uh, November third here in Cincinnati. Uh, more information and possibly a discounted ticket. Man, I should have looked for the. Should have looked for this during the break at. Uh, WMKVFM.org. WMKVFM.org. Uh, so, um, Christina, you were making a list of the common places where folks fall down in this process of getting a lead and then converting the lead. And we, we were at 34% uh, of calls do not get picked up the first time, and most of those do not get called back, which total waste of money right there. Mm -hmm. I spent the money on the stamp and the printing, and then I'm not going to bother to talk to the person who responds to the mail. Yep. So let's go to the middle. Of pro jump to the middle um, quickly. Uh, that is booking appointments. Um, of your net leads, which are people who have a home to sell that don't say, take me off your list, don't ever call me again. You should be booking 
30% of those as appointments. Hmm. That is way more than what most people do um, because, you know, people don't want to waste their time. Uh, they don't want to spend time. Um, and you don't, you're, m- more often than not, people are just not booking enough appointments. They're just deciding over the phone how motivated someone is or isn't. Uh, and at the end of the day, the way that you differentiate yourself from both other investors and even some of these bigger corporate buyers that are coming in is by injecting humanity into the situation. Mm-hmm. There is always going to be people who want the brick-and-mortar store, and they want to be touched, and they want you to get belly-to-belly with them. And it is through the establishing of a relationship with them that you will identify why they re- what their need really is, what's their real pain point. You have to get to know people, and you have to touch them to find this out. You have to get really, really, really good at being human with people and at genuinely caring. The only way that you're going to do that is to go and put yourself in front of them uh, and to look them in the face. So if you are not converting well, the likelihood is you're not going on enough appointments and you're not sharpening that skill. Well, okay? let me and now, let me let me let me let me challenge you there. If if getting in front of people with houses for sale is so important, how how do we choose the seventy percent that we're rejecting? Uh, my personal opinion is that if someone, when I'm working with teams of people, okay, I tell them if that person will meet with you, go meet with them. You're going to get better and better at screening that, okay? So you're going to start to hone that skill. But particularly when you're first getting started, the amount of information and, and, and just how much better you will get by going and meeting with anybody who has a home that has to, that, that, that they want to sell and, uh, you know, give, just getting in front of them and, and, and we'll meet with you. Get in front of them. Figure out what, what, what are the scenarios under which you would have said, no, this is not a motivated seller. And when you see that you actually convert some of these people who you think aren't motivated over the phone, you go meet with them, you establish the relationship, they end up selling you the house, you'll see the value of doing this. So in my opinion, if, if you're a seasoned investor and you get really good at what you do and you kind of know and, you know, you, you, you start to learn all, all of these nuances, yeah, my really, really good teams of investors book probably 25% of their net leads as appointments, but then they, they close 25% of the, you know, the uh, appointments that they go on. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of metrics that you can shoot for, if you will. But if you're not closing deals, one of the best ways to start closing deals, if you're not, you know, if you're talking to people, is to go ahead and go on those appointments and learn what you need to learn to get to, you know, to get to uh, to be a better salesperson. Hmm. Okay. Book as many as you can, in my opinion, at first. Okay. I'll I I, I will I will agree with the at first. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I will absolutely. agree that it's good to it's good not just to not just to talk to people but heck half the half the new investors are terrified of even looking at a house and I'm gonna miss something and I'm, I don't know how to inspect a house and I say well how do you think you learn yep oh I'm gonna go on YouTube and learn no you're not you got to get in the house yep. <laughs> I don't care what house it is go get in the house <laughs> and all of that is data collection guys you know what you're doing is you're learning and you're collecting data and data is what helps you to perfect everything 
So now once you've gone on enough of these appointments and you have enough examples to where you're not making emotional uh, gut decisions, now you can start to filter people out better over the phone because now you see the, con- oh, oh I see this. I've seen this scenario a thousand times. I kind of know how this is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And you can use your experience then to get better at what you're doing. And yes, Agreed. I'm telling you right now, I don't I don't pick up the phone anymore in my business. But if I did, I would not be going on 70 percent of my appointments. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be going on that many appointments. But I've also talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sellers. I've seen the patterns. Now I can make better decisions. But that's where you kind of cut your teeth and get better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, so you know now that when somebody starts the conversation with, well, I bought this property for my daughter, that you go on that appointment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. You know the high-value scenarios because now you've seen them You've seen them 100 times. Mm-hmm. So you know, oh, that's a hot one. You know, mm-hmm. you can trust that. You don't trust other people's opinions. You trust your own, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your, your own experience. Okay. Right? So we are, let's see, uh, people rounding the bend don't 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 they have lack of consistency it's the consistency in their marketing they don't get their calls answered they don't book enough appointments and 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 this is the biggest one biggest area of missed opportunity in every business big or small lack of nurturing and auditing of the lead and following up on the lead lack of follow-up on your lead okay we just completed a three-year study of our clients data And we found out that of the clients that had any kind of follow-up sequence on their leads where, you know, you don't get the deal initially, but you continue to follow up with that lead, 74 of the the clients who had any kind of follow-up system in place whatsoever, 74% of their deals came 30 or more days after the first point of contact with the client. So came in the follow-up, right? Of the clients who had no follow-up whatsoever, and that's most investors. Don't beat yourself up. That's most investors, even the big ones, that don't have a follow-up sequence. Only 7% of their deals came 30 or more days. So most of us as entrepreneurs are designed to just go kill stuff. You know, we just want to get out there. We want to convert it. And if it doesn't convert, we don't see what's left over as having any value. But especially in the environment today, most of your deals, if you're doing follow-up, are going to come in follow-up versus right at that point of sale. You've got to get some kind of nurturing and auditing and follow-up system in place with these people. So, you know, whether it is that you lose the deal, if you lose the deal to somebody else who's a bit higher, find out when they're closing. Call them the day after closing. I could give you so many examples of clients doing this and converting it. Mm -hmm. So call them the day after and say, hey, I know that you were scheduled to close on this on the, you know, uh, yesterday. I just wanted to make sure that happened and see if there's anything else I could do. No, that deal fell apart. And now I'm my back is up against the wall. Let's do this. Right. So Uh, true. Or you couldn't come together on price. Over 70% of the deals that come in follow up come from people who initially said, I want this, and it's way too much money. You know, my house is worth 100000 I'll take 100000 And you're like, no deal. 30, 60 days later, when that person has, you know, they started out so confidently, I'm going to get market value for my house, the market's hot. If you follow up with that lead and you catch them at the right time, 
when they're more realistic about their price or their circumstances have changed, that's when magic happens. But you've got to follow up on those leads. You've already paid for the lead to come into your business. You just have to put something in place uh, that uh, gives you accountability to continually follow up with that lead to try to convert that into an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everything you are saying is right in line with my actual experience. And yet, let me confess, I fall down on all of this stuff all of the time. I, I I know I know that particularly when someone tells me that they've gotten an offer from an investor that's a lot higher than mine, I know it's not closing. Yeah, like I, I know I, like that's that's a wholesaler trying to sell for the estimate, and and yeah. they, they made the offer and they're not going to be able to sell it. Yeah. Um, so what what is the what is the solution other than a hundred thousand dollars a month worth of mailing and a Staff, yeah. of, staff of 53 people to address letters and, you know, it's, 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 it, there's a reason everybody fails at it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is that um, you've got to determine what is your genius zone in your business. Okay. Um, you, you've got to figure out what are you really good at. Most of us as business owners are good at the sale, you know, so it's, it's going out, it's meeting with people, it's closing those deals. The problem is most of us are ball hogs, um, and we try to do all of the things, and we're not good at all of the things, and even if we were good at all of the things, you can't do all of the things perfectly um, or well. There's a reason why, you know, superstar teams um, don't, you know, the, I, I, don't, I don't know why I always insist on making sports references, because I don't know anything about sports, but, you know, like... I'm going to say like Kobe Bryant, even though I don't, I don't even think he plays anymore. And he doesn't play every position. You well, know the, what I mean? Like, who is it? Steph Curry? I don't know. The fact I'm that Mike's laughing his head off tells me probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know either, being. but, but I, we, I get, being, I get the point. They play yeah. every position. Right. They play one position. And they do the one thing that they do really, really well over and over and over and over. And I'm a very, very big advocate. It's why the services that I offer, the marketing services, the follow-up services, I'm, I'm a very big advocate of completely done-for-you services because if you can f- figure out within a business, if you're building a business, where your time is best served and you can protect that and you can automate. And by automate, I don't mean tech, tech, technology. I just mean outsource um, as much as, as you possibly can outside of that, I understand that when you're building a business, there's a period of time that you've really just got to you know, get in and dig in and, and, and learn how to have the discipline to do things yourself. But as quickly as possible, you really should figure out how to create levels of accountability first and then outsource as much as possible. So we actually figured out in our uh, clients' businesses that they weren't going to follow up on the lead. That's how we started um, you know, Postal Impact does the marketing. That's our company that does the marketing. Virtual Lead Managers is the company uh, that pre-screens and pre-trains VAs. Uh, that's why we call them Virtual Lead Managers. How to run follow-up sequences for our clients. Because ultimately what we figured out is that as much as people know that this is something that they should be doing, they don't. They just don't. They're not, we're not designed for it. And we should stop trying to make ourselves be something that we're not. Just be your, you know, do you do you and figure out how to get other people to do the things 
um, that you're not going to do and you're not going to do well. Either figure out how to create accountability for yourself to get something done consistently and methodically or, or, or outsource it and mm-hmm. let somebody who's going to do it. I don't care if it's a family member. I, I, you know, I know people who have their kids writing letters, um, but create processes and systems as much as you possibly can that, um, you know, that, that create consistency. Um, I would rather see you do, uh, you know, a hundred pieces of mail consistently and methodically than 500 sporadically and, 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 you know, mm-hmm. just in a halfway kind of manner. Mm-hmm. Like, just do it really, really well, because excellence breeds excellence, and mediocrity, is, is, it, it'll kill you, because it, it, you feel it in your gut. You know, you're like, when, when, when you allow mediocrity in, it, to me, it's like poison. Like, whatever you do, just be excellent at what you do, and that will breed success in every single area of your life. Well, with that, we are out of time and need to wrap the show, but I am very much looking forward to your presentation at the National Real Estate Summit. In fact, I think this is the first time you have given a presentation sort of in this format where just anybody can, anybody who pays their $197 to show up can come and, and listen. So we're, we're excited to be your first experiment and looking forward to the dance. <laughs> I'm ready. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Christina. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.